Hi, this is John Batham from Saturday Night Fever and War Games, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment over here at SciFiPulseRadio.com. This is your host, Marks, and soon we'll be joined by our other host, Julie, here in just a few minutes for our featured interview. Now, for those of you that may be first-time listeners, Genretainment is where we talk about what is happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. And for today's show, we're going viral. Viral video, that is, as we chat with Richard Dunn, a.k.a. the Lonely Airport Guy. Uh, We talk about his viral video, All By Myself, which he recorded while stranded overnight at an airport. Uh, The video has over 20 million hits online, and now he has a book out called How I Shot the YouTube Mega Hit All By Myself on My iPhone and Why I'm Not Lonely Anymore. (laughs) Now, uh, we had a great time chatting with Richard about how he made this video and the exciting things that happened afterwards. We also have more bonus audio after the interview. Recently, I was on a panel at Boston Comic Con talking about creating web series and my new book, Television on the Wild Wild Web. While there, I couldn't help but do some quick mini-interviews of creators and artists at their booths, so please stay tuned after the feature interview to hear those mini-interviews that I did. Oh, and you can listen to the first half of those mini-interviews on last week's episode of Genretainment. But before we get started with the featured interview, we do want to mention that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand, a song composed and performed by our friend Tishon Hardy. Now you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get started with our featured interview with Richard Dunn. Don't wanna be all Hi Richard and welcome to the show. You have a book coming out about your YouTube viral video. So if you could just tell us a little bit about your book, which is called, let me see if I got this right. How I shot the YouTube mega hit all by myself and why I'm not lonely anymore. Yep, that's exactly right. And (laughs) I'll be the first to admit that I've read books shorter than the title of mine. (laughs) Um, It won't uh, fit in a Cracker Chat box. No, it it will not. Um, the great folks at Michael Weesey Productions, we went back and forth over this. We, we batted around how my iPhone made me famous in short, sweet little titles. But in the end, they were absolutely correct that we need to get as much information out there on the, on the front of the cover um, as we can. So I'm glad we went the way we did. But basically, to step back for a couple minutes, when this video hit, I was, first of all, and I'm sure we can cover some of this, but I was just... Uh, there was nobody more surprised than I was. I've done these little tchotchke videos my whole life, and I put them up on the Internet, and my family and my friends laugh, and they, they tell me, yes, you're still funny. That's what you want to hear. <laughs> um, and then uh, literally the next day, we were in the thousands of hits, and I thought, hey, I have a viral video. Hey, I have 2,000 hits. That's a viral video. No, no, you're, you're, you're a little naive. The following days when the numbers were coming in in the millions, that's when I realized – Yes, now I have a viral video. <laughs> um, but the the media inquiries that I was getting and um, a couple scam alerts we can talk about that people coming in trying to take advantage of me. Um, in in the midst of everything happening, I get this this uh, strange email from a guy named Ken Lee at Michael Weesey Productions, and I'm thinking, okay, is this a professional? Is this a poser? Is this somebody in between? Do I need to be careful? Um, so I literally shelved the email for a few days and not, not, out of, um, not out of fear that I didn't know who he was because I did do my research and I realized, okay, this guy is legit. And when I finally got back to him and contacted him, he said, hey, man, listen, you, you, I don't think you know what you have here. Um, us at Michael Weesey Productions were the worldwide leader in filmmaking books, and we've been actively looking for somebody to shoot on uh, smartphones and all we're finding is like this Blair Witch kind of stuff and, and folks mm-hmm. that we're not sure could handle what we're offering them. And then we see your video and we see that you claim to have only shot it by yourself on your iPhone. If this is true, please, <laughs> please get back in touch with us. We'd like to talk to you about a, a how-to book and basically how you did it. Well, so once the desk dust started settling down a little bit and I could clear my mind enough to call Ken back. Um, 
I said, listen, I, here's, here's the, here's the scoop on me. I've never written a book, but the answer is yes. <laughs> if, if you're interested and you want me to go along with this, I'll, I'll take it and I'll do my best. Um, I shot for four hours on my iPhone. I think it's going to be about six pages long. If that's all I talk about. Um, I, I don't know how to make it more, but I do know how to tell you my story. Um, so I'm going to tell you the whole thing from start to finish. And for quite a while, they were all leaning to, well, we pretty much need it to be how-to, so let's tell us your story. We'll see if we can extract it out. And then as I got writing chapters and sending them in, uh, Ken and Michael um, wrote me back and said, okay, new direction. This is a how-to book. It's in there. But holy smokes, this is a great story. This isn't Our target audience is the technical-minded person and the film-minded person. But I think we have a story here for the general public, the, any one of the 20 million that has any question whatsoever, uh, how could you use the music? How did you make the, the, the camera move? How much money did you make? Any of those things, these people now would be interested. So please keep writing from the point of view of just telling your story. So kind of in a nutshell, that's how it got to be um, this crazy fool in an airport did a video to – I'm talking to you guys now about my book on Amazon. Um, you know, that stuff doesn't happen to me. So, so many things had to happen. And the, one of the most grateful things for me anyway, is for Ken to go out on a limb and contact my Vimeo account to say, is anybody out there? Would you like to talk to us? Um, so yes, for $4.99, I now have a book on Amazon. Uh, telling you all the nuts and bolts and all the fun stories and the good, the bad, and the ugly from uh, getting bumped from the first flight to meeting Celine Dion. It was, uh, it was quite a ride for sure. <laughs> now, whenever you were filming it, did you have any inkling of an idea that was going to take off at all? I mean, did you think while you were doing this, people are going to really like this? I know there's no way you could expect this much attention, <laughs> but did you think it was going to be a special video? Well, I know... I know interviewers love one answer questions, so I will give you the answer. No. <laughs> it was just, I, I mean, I, and the other thing is too, let me put this in perspective for you guys. You guys are asking the questions, and, and as well you should, with the perspective of knowing 20 million people have seen this in 150 different countries um, in a matter of 14 days. I'm answering the questions from the perspective of I'm tired. I'm in an empty airport. I think my wife will find this funny. <laughs> so, and, and that's that's important to think of because everybody everybody looks at me and, and I get this. Oh, congratulations, Richard. On what? <laughs> I, you know, from my perspective, it was a, a, a little silly video. And what it, what it was intended to be was uh, Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone and me, you know, playing goose with the sunglasses on, running through the airport and maybe 15, 20 seconds, and that was it. Mm -hmm. So from there, I just started, um, I was listening to Danger Zone, walking through the airport after I got bumped from my first flight, and thought, well, if I get bumped, because once I get bumped from my first one, they let me know that there's a chance I could have gotten bumped from my second one at 11 o'clock. It's a guaranteed seat, but if you want to take more money, we may ask you to volunteer then too. So I thought, well, if I stay, I'll do something funny. And then I got going through all the songs, and then, you know, uh, are you lonesome tonight? No, that wasn't funny. And then literally on one of the Google searches, all by myself popped up, and I literally LOL'd. Uh, as much as I hate that, I did it. Uh, standing there like a moron in the airport, laughing out loud, um, listening to Celine Dion belt all by myself. Um, so, so, no, I, I did not expect anything from this video. I figured that... 30 or 40 of my friends would hear it, uh, would see it, you know, tell me I'm funny, that that's what I wanted to hear, and that that would be the end of it. Well, sure, you wouldn't expect that many views. I mean, you didn't even have a cat in it. So, for YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I tell people, too, is uh, th there are so many things I can't believe about this. I mean, so many things, I, you know, we're never going to have time to cover it all. But this is no kick in the crotch. As far as viral videos go, you know, they're usually 15, 20 seconds, that's funny, uh, bouncy ball knocked over the little kid, cat ran out of the bush, and that's the end of it. This is five minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah. This, this is a full start to finish music video, and for that reason, I thought it's going nowhere. 
I put it up on Vimeo. Who looks on Vimeo? <laughs> That's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, so you mentioned for, it's five over five minutes long. How long did it take to film? Oh, it was. I I was so delusional when I started videotaping this. I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it in a couple different locations. So during between the two flights, when I thought, hey, if I get bumped, I do want to be ready. I do want to have something going. I started doing a little shot list, and but I wasn't writing it down because it was only three or four places. But the more I walked around the airport listening to it in my headphones, I was just I thought, oh, that tortoise sculpture, that would be funny. Mm-hmm. The shoe, si- shoe shine stand, that would be funny. Oh my gosh, the ladies' bathroom, that would be hysterical. Um, <laughs> and so then I thought, I gotta write, I gotta write this crap down. So I, I actually have a shot list where I go and I put everything down, and I think it ended up being like 22 or 26 scenes. So to get back to your question. When I started off the night, I was doing two full runs of the song in each location. So 10, oh my minutes, goodness. 10 minutes and 40 seconds just to make sure I was covered. Um, and so I started probably around 1 a.m. Um, I, I got a couple earlier shots of like when the airport was full beforehand as my thought was coming together on what I wanted to see. But when I actually started filming myself alone in the empty airport, it was about 1 a.m., and then after two or three locations of doing full shoots, my battery was going down, uh, my phone was filling up, and I thought, it just mathematically, it didn't make sense, so I couldn't get the whole thing in. So then I would just selectively go from scene to scene and like cue up the music. If you can see in some of the scenes, I have my iPad there. So I would cue up the music, and then I would do maybe the first half of the song in this area just once. Then I'd move locations, do the second half of the song, and see if that could help me squeeze in the time. So, but but all in all, the place didn't empty out till a little after 1 a.m. And by 5 a.m., flights started coming in. So I had about four hours of, and it was solid, four hours of solid shooting. Uh, now, near the end, it was weird. My battery was dead. So I would shoot, go charge it, shoot, go charge it. <laughs> um, it got, and at that point, I, I was so tired. But I, I couldn't back out. You know, the, the escalator shot was one of the last shots I took. And I thought, I, I can't give up now. So four hours of pretty continuous shooting um, is what it took me to get it all, you know, into my phone. Now, how did you do the escalator shot? Because I kept saying, how did he, without a tripod or something to sit on there, how did you get that to, because it looked like it wasn't on the railing. It looked like it was on the actual escalator. I, so you just propped it up? Well, that was one of those things where I I saw the the moving sidewalks and I saw the escalator, and that was some of the laugh out loud moments. When I was walking around the airport and I saw the moving sidewalk and the escalator, I I knew I needed to incorporate those somehow. And as the uh, as the day was coming to a close, I saw a mechanic behind one of the Delta counters, and I said, Hey, do you have any tape or anything? I need to fix something. So he. <laughs> So he went into the back and he found some of that, that cheap white plastic luggage tape um, that they used to put, you know, baby seats in bags, and, and they gave that to me. So for the escalator shot in, in uh, specifically, I took – I have a, a scale ruler that I travel with in my computer bag. I taped my iPhone uh, to the ruler. I taped the ruler to the, hand, the extended handle of my computer bag, and after much trial and error, um, I ended up taping a water bottle to the underside of my computer bag to get the angle on the escalator just right. So I started at the bottom of the escalator, and I would put my bag on the moving, the moving stairs. Then I would go get it and just to make sure it, it, it shot okay and that I was framed up and that I got what I wanted. And it took seven or eight times, and I was pretty exhausted by the end of it. Um, <laughs> but the last shot I took, I put the bag on there, I hit record. At this point, I'm seven or eight feet up. So it's recording. I run back down to the bottom. My iPad is there, and I wanted it right on the right on the big high note, right on the on the crescendo of it. Mm-hmm. And so that was lined up, and and I, so I hit play, and I started lip syncing, and I dropped to my knees, and I bow my head, and I just kind of pause for a second. I think, yes, I got it finally. And I'm like, holy crap, my bag's on the escalator. And I look up, and it's probably, I don't know, 120 feet long. And I look up, and my bag's probably 70 feet from me going to the top with my <laughs> iPhone and my computer in it. And it's about to hit the top and come back uh-huh. down. So, and, but that was the first time I got the shot, so I didn't really think through what was going to happen <laughs> after I got it. So there's a behind-the-scenes uh, clip, a little montage that I put out there. 
and you can see the just a sheer terror on my face when I look up and I'm like I've got to catch that so I for whatever reason the moron in me hit the stairs to run up to catch it and oh. then I realized <laughs> then I realized wait the escalator is moving you'll get there faster so you see me turn around and jump on the escalator and literally sprint to the top and as one of the last shots of the night I was hot I was sweaty I was tired um, and but just as it was reaching to the top, I got to the bag and pulled it off. And, <laughs> and so hero you, of the day, disaster <laughs> was averted. Yay for Richard! Um, did you have to build then just like a, a taller version of that contraption to do the moving sidewalk? Because it was it wasn't down on the ground; it was you know level with you. Yeah, well, it, there was a certain part when I was walking around with the music playing. I was kind of taking a metal inventory of everything I saw, and. Um, if if you recall in the airports, they have the, the wheelchairs with the little porter handles, the red, the big tall handles that the porters push mm -hmm. when they're moving them along. And so for the uh, for the, the side to side dolly shot, I had the iPhone taped to the ruler, taped to the extended handle of my bag. Then I put the bag on a wheelchair and I lined the wheelchair up on one of the moving sidewalks. <laughs> and so they were long enough that as soon as it was lined up, and you can see all this in the behind-the-scenes footage too, as soon as it was lined up, I would let it go and then sprint over to the chairs with my iPad in hand and sing as the camera slowly made its way past. And when I knew I was out of frame, I would get up and, and haul over to the end of it so the wheelchair didn't crash at the end of it. Um, so I, I did a whole bunch of those, and it was somewhere in the middle of the night where I was doing those long shots and there were times I was using the forward facing camera on the phone and times I was using the rear facing camera and I probably shot for a good 25 minutes using the wrong camera so I was performing to the dumb side of the phone oh. <laughs> and I got on the plane and I'm like why, why, why did I shoot six minutes of these empty chairs and then I would turn up the volume and I would realize that I was singing to the wrong side of the camera. Oh, yeah. um, so lesson learned, kids. Make sure you know what, uh, <laughs> what camera you're looking at. So that was, that, that was kind of it, taking inventory of the stuff in the airport. So that was kind of my, my bigger rig, my most elaborate rig, was the, uh, the wheelchair stunt, uh, yeah. getting back and forth. I'm guessing you got a few strange looks. From uh, <laughs> some employees that were still there. <laughs> well, it, it's funny. It's like I'm on trial. This goes this goes viral. Now, again, context. I think I'm doing it for 40 people. You know, 20 million people have seen it. So I think around 3:43 in the video, in the very back, you can see a member of the cleaning staff around <laughs> one of the slot machines. And oh my goodness, you would think that I that I burned down somebody's house and. They found the key evidence when the public is just <laughs> just nailing me with, you were not alone, there's somebody behind you. <laughs> well, of course I wasn't alone. You know, there's probably a dozen cleaning staff, and it's a casino, So, and I didn't know this. They have an attendant at every bank of machines there overnight. So I would just selectively set up the scenes and, and, and do my little bit around them. And I saw that person at 343. I didn't care. I didn't think my wife would care. I didn't think my friends would care. Do you I think didn't most know. people would know there's, like, cleaning staff and people, you know, yeah. Because they're yeah. obviously going to be able to do their jobs more thoroughly at that time of night. <laughs> right. But it was weird. I mean, I, there's probably, I would conservatively say 100 people, basically. Liar! Burn her, burn her. He wasn't alone. Um, but yeah, and a couple of the a couple of the cleaning staff got within hearing distance of it, and they didn't want anything to do with me at all. They just, well, they're jaded because they're in Vegas, you know. Well, well, yeah, and you know what? The the third shift guys, bless their hearts. I, 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 I'm thankful that they're there doing their job, and I'm sure they've seen um, a lot crazier. And, um, and and it's funny, too, because one of the other main questions I get is where was security during all this? Mm -hmm. um, and I've been in very close contact with the uh, the public relations department there. And uh, come to find out, security watched me every step of the way. They, <laughs> well, they were having they, a ball. They are like, watching you. And <laughs> well, well, yes or no. I tell you what, after the fact, like when this thing went viral, um, they actually had a meeting to talk about whether they wanted to play along or not. Oh and God. there were some, there were some higher level executives that said, I don't know if we should do this. I don't know, 
Yes, Richard was very respectful of our airport. Uh, he's very funny. He didn't do anything immoral or suggestive. He didn't go anywhere he wasn't supposed to. And this is an awesome video, but we don't know about the next person that tries it. And yeah. I don't know if we should encourage that. Well, so, you know, people who have to wear suits to work generally don't have much of a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, but I mean, it, yeah, but I mean, they were they were justified in their thinking, and so I get that. I'm I'm so glad they decided to play along. They put it on their Twitter and their Facebook. But all that to say, the the security folks. Uh, no, they all reviewed the tape and gathered around the security footage afterwards. <laughs> and apparently it's funnier than anything I posted. Um, <laughs> they should post it. Yeah, well, I, I've asked. I said, hey, listen, just even even a screenshot of me wiping up the water after I dumped it um, just to, to shut everybody up. And they said, well, you know, we're an international airport and we're a casino. We, we cannot release, oh, release even a frame. Yeah, but but yeah. what they have done, and, and bless their little aviator hearts, they uh, they they've been on camera testifying publicly that yes I was alone in the airport. Oh. Um, but getting back to the original question, the security folks watched me all night long, and they said we were ready to stop you, but you didn't do anything to warrant security coming down there. So so yeah, the cleaning staff were there. A couple of the uh, slot attendants saw me around, and apparently all the security folks had a pretty close eye on me uh, from the CCTV. It reminds me of that commercial. It's a progressive commercial. It's got Flo and another guy watching a, a security monitor, and the two rivals from the other insurance company are trying to break in. And he's like, should we stop him? She goes, no, it's just getting good, and she's eating popcorn, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Well, and I thought for sure when I, when I dumped the water out, and that was later on in the evening, um, but literally, I went to the bathroom, I got the paper towel, I got on my hands and knees, and I cleaned it up, and I even went and I found a wet floor sign, uh, and I left it in that area, just in case I missed any. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a very polite overnight guest. So, <laughs> so yeah, so, so there were people there, and there were people watching me, um, and so no need to call in or write in that at 3.40 you saw somebody. Yep, I know they were there. <laughs> That's crazy. So it took about four hours to shoot. How long did it take to edit? I started it on the plane, actually. And if you think the cleaning staff gave me dirty looks, you should see the folks sitting around me in first class. <laughs> uh, um, they, cause the airport they just came from, and, you know, the guy sitting next to me, he, you know, he didn't say anything, but I could tell that he was looking over my shoulder. So it was probably two hours of editing on the plane, and then I finally just passed out. I was so tired. Um, and then another couple hours when I got home. So it was probably four hours altogether. The, the the toughest part about it was, like I said, I was listening to the music on my iPad. And all is well and good when my iPhone that was recording was close enough to me in the iPad where I could see my lips moving and I could hear the music uh, that was being picked up from the iPhone. But there's a number of shots where the iPad was just too far away from the iPhone and I couldn't hear it. And so I would be all confused on trying to, you know, you've got 30 frames a second where your mouth sync could be off. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that hard lip syncing because I had the music. But um, I'd say for probably a third of the shots, what was really tough was uh, lining up the exact syllables with my mouth to the actual cut of the song that I was using. So that that was that was a little tedious. So that's kind of that kind of upped the time that it took me to line things up. So we're probably looking at about four hours to shoot it and four hours to edit it. So not a bad day's work. A little time investment for again, you know. Let me take you back to my perspective. That's eight hours of shooting and editing um, as a gag. Yeah, (laughs) it's just just something. You know, people say, "Oh yeah, you cranked that out, twenty million hits. Good for you. Oh, that was nice and easy." Yeah, but when you think that you did it just to show your mom and dad, that's a that that's a big commitment just to get the laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so you like to make videos. I wonder, do you have any kind of background at all in film or TV? Uh, I don't. I've worked in uh, in live entertainment for the past twenty years. I was I went to Liberty University and I was with the lighting department there, and then um, was hired by Disney straight out of uh, straight out of university, and I spent uh, four years. Um, sorry, five years full-time with Disney in Orlando and then four years as a contractor uh, with them. So 
So nine years with them. And then I moved into uh, corporate entertainment. Like when big companies do their sales meetings, they treat them like rock stars. And we bring in a couple 18 wheelers full of lights. <laughs> so I, so I've been in entertainment my, my whole life and I, I know what I like. Um, I've been around video enough to, uh, to kind of have a sense for the quality of video and the shots that I like to see. But as far as any formal education, I, I've always been producing videos is my golfing. Um, working in video is my fishing. I, I really don't have a hobby. I, I have a hard time sitting still and I have a hard time relaxing. So video is a way for me to stay creative and to do stuff. So I've kind of been honing my skill, I guess, for the past 15 years. And as long as I can remember that they've had recording devices and editing software, I've always had something to uh, to do and to kind of fiddle with. I love the feeling of creating something out of nothing, that when I'm done a video, there's a piece that exists that didn't exist hours earlier. So to say I don't, didn't have any experience in video is pro probably isn't the truth. But any experience I do have is just by watching some of my friends in the live entertainment side of things and uh, just some hands-on kind of self-taught things over the years, YouTube tutorials and that kind of stuff. Do you feel any pressure now to make another video <laughs> like that? Oh, my gosh. You've got to be kidding. That's the that's probably the, the – uh, the number one asked question is, what's next? <laughs> You're like, I didn't really expect to do this one. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Oh, my gosh, you took the words right out of my mouth. To ask a guy like me what's next, it almost implies that I meant to do what I did, that it was a deliberate first step, watch me do this viral video. Um, and, I, I, again, I've done a lot of crazy, silly little videos. I enter video contests, and, and I've had some decent success with that. Um, but the thing, the thing about the all-elusive, mysterious viral video, and people go, all right, all right, Mr. Dunn, what are you going to do next? You know, arms crossed, scowl on face, you know, do it again, you know, dance. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do want to do it again, and I do want to try it again. But one of, one of the most endearing things about the Lonely Airport guy is the fact that I didn't expect to be in that situation. And so when you take, if you took that element out and you knew that I arranged to be there or that I asked the airport if I could do it and that this was a planned, the spontaneity of the video, I think, really adds to the charm for people. So I, I do want to try something else. You know, I've got a couple ideas, none of which you can you can thumb screw out of me you can try um but but i i might give it a try but i'm but man i'm some hesitant because you know even if i get half the people looking in going yeah nice attempt you know that's not near as funny as the first one i mean the uh i, I i'm i'm out there for scrutiny on this mm -hmm. and and once the video goes viral you can't stop it you don't have a say in it you know, Numa Numa guy, history of dance. These guys can't pull that back in. If I do something again and it doesn't live up, oh, man, um, I, I want to try it and I probably will. I'm just, I just want to make sure the time is right. So mm -hmm. be it, be it a planned video that I set out to do, or what's probably more likely is as much as I was ready for that opportunity in the airport, if I see another opportunity arise, I'm going to be ready, and I'm going to jump at it. And that's kind of like, you know, if you want to get all philosophical about it, you know, Tony Robbins on you. <laughs> the uh, it, Kind of one of the messages of this, and one of the messages of the book is, can you see opportunity where other people don't? The millions of people have been delayed. A great number of people have been stranded overnight. And the normal reaction is to read a book, watch a movie, or go to sleep. That's what you're supposed to do. I saw that there's an opportunity in front of me. I didn't see an empty airport. I saw a movie set. I thought, I can't let this pass. It was a harder decision for me to decide to shoot the movie than it was to actually shoot the movie. I wanted to go to sleep. I wanted to read. I wanted to do nothing. It had been a long day. But I chose to do something that was hard. And I guess that's kind of the message that transcends the funny video. People, so many comments of, oh, yeah, I was going to do that. I got stuck overnight. I thought of doing that. 
but you didn't. <laughs> and that's, and, and I don't say that with any, I'm not being cocky about that whatsoever because I didn't know that was going to happen. But my point is when you see these opportunities, my goodness, take them. Normal behavior gets normal results and normal Normal behavior is to go to sleep, and, and if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But don't wake up in the morning and say, I should have done that video. I'm not going to accept that. If you want to shoot a video, there's no excuses. Go shoot it. Go do it. Shoot what you like, and if people like it, they're going to share it. But I don't want to hear afterwards, yeah, I, yeah, I was going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought of that. So, you know what, just just be motivated, and, and can you see beyond the normal I'm going to go to sleep here. There's more to it. There's there's a creative advantage for you. Uh, I don't care if you're if you're selling ice door to door or or in medical sales or what you're doing. In in every situation, if if you tell a normal story in a normal way, nobody cares. I had a normal situation. I I had a flight delayed, and that's a normal situation. And I'm the only guy in the history of air travel to have 20 million people watch me wait for my plane. <laughs> I didn't I didn't have a normal response in that situation and it worked out it worked out great for me and I encourage other people when you see opportunity my goodness take it take it yeah and it paid off because you actually got a response from and and had a personal invitation from Celine Dion and you and your family did get to meet her was it before a show is that correct um it was before not only before a show it was before her second to last performance ever um since we went to see her she wow announced, just in the nick of time <laughs> oh my goodness and don't don't think for a second that i'm grateful she canceled her career but i am very grateful that before she did that, that we had the chance to meet her um it was somewhere around the, the two million three million view mark um we were leaving uh, cnn uh, we had just done a spot uh, on headline news talking about the video and somebody texted us and said, hey, Celine responded to your video. And I'm thinking, great, can you forward that to me? Thinking it was a text or it was a, 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 just a poster statement she made. And they're like, no, she did a video. <laughs> so it just, just blew my mind to know that she did that. And when we actually went to the concert, we talked to her, uh, one of her managers afterwards for about a half an hour. And he said, Richard, you got to understand, in the history of her career, she's only ever posted two videos uh, one to a fellow artist that won an award, and you. Mm. Um, she was just she thought it was so funny and and so hysterical that you would take the time to do that. So in the response, she said, "Hey, I'd love for you to come see my show." And I thought, well, that's what she has to say, you know, if she's going to you know be public. And so I really didn't think anything of it. And then somebody from uh, AEG Live, which is the promotional company that promotes her show in Las Vegas contacted us and say, no, she, she's dead serious. We want you to come. We'd love for you to come if you're going to be in town. So um, I actually took the opportunity. I was on TMZ, which is just silly to hear me say. Um, <laughs> and I threw out there, hey, um, AEG, if you were serious, I am going to be there on July 6th. And I see that she happens to have a concert on July 4th. Nudge, nudge. What do you guys got? And so then they responded almost immediately with, Absolutely. So tickets for my wife, myself, my daughter, my parents, my in-laws. When Delta caught wind that we were going, they looked into my account. They saw that five of us were flying from Atlanta. They upgraded us to first class. Caesar sent a limo to pick us up up front. They gave us a room for a couple nights. The night of the concert, we went down. They met us up front and escorted us down to see her. And uh, it was just, it was just the the strangest the strangest feeling to be walking downstairs and she had requested to meet us before the concert so we went down and they allowed us to videotape the whole thing which is also mind blowing you know you're not allowed to take any pictures down there let alone right. video and uh her manager said hey listen in light of how you got to be here feel free to videotape so th there's a link floating out around there of uh, us meeting her she probably spent about 10 or 15 minutes with the family She's just so genuine and so sincere. We might as well have been around a campfire in her living room. She was, <laughs> she was so great. She, my two-year-old daughter started singing to her. She sang back to her, and she picked her up. And I'm like, Celine Dion's holding my baby. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that's crazy. And singing with her. 
Yeah, and singing with her. She took off this massive rock and put it in her hand, and, and uh, you know, Bailey, my daughter, is holding on to it, and I'm thinking, stick it in your diaper. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Um, but uh, it, it, it was amazing, and then to find out that she only did one concert after that, so to know that we were some of the last fans she ever met, before she canceled her Vegas show and her and her tours, uh, we we feel so fortunate and, and grateful and thankful that she extended that offer to us. That's great. It's a really a amazing story. I I wish you luck on the book and whatever comes next. Yeah. Uh, so where can people, where can our audience find you and your book online? You can head to uh, Amazon.com. Amazon.com has it on sale for four ninety nine. It's uh, just over a hundred pages. It's a nice, easy read. You can do it in one sitting. Um, and again, it's it's more of the why I did it, how I did it, how you can do it, and then just a couple really neat, couple life lessons and things to take from it. And and again, in retrospect, and and seeing all this attention, I've been able to kind of think a little clearer on how I did and and taking the opportunity at hand. So you go to Amazon.com, and if you type in Richard Dunn in the search bar, it's one of the first things that pop up. You can't miss it. I would be eternally grateful. So for less than five bucks, pick that up. A couple words of wisdom from this wacky Canadian, and uh, you'll be better for it, I promise. This is Dirk Manning, the writer and creator of Nightmare World, Tales of Mystery, and Love Stories About Death, as well as that writer on column over at Newsarama.com. And you are very fortunate right now because you are listening to Genretainment. Well, thanks to Richard for taking the time to speak with Julie and I. Now let's listen to some of those mini interviews that I did at Boston Comic-Con. Hey guys, this is Marks again up here at Boston Comic-Con, and now I'm joined by... Eric Carlson. All right, and can you tell us a little bit about about your uh, Tiki P.I.? Sure. Uh, Tiki P.I. is Hawaii's only supernatural detective. Uh, so it's Tiki along with his cohort, Hunter the Owl, uh, and they solve various uh, crimes throughout Hawaii, some involving werewolves, some involving mad scientists, uh, and, and sort of things like that. We just finished, actually, our Kickstarter um, back in April. So November we'll see the release of our collection of volumes one through five of the comic so issue one through three are out now and the trade paperback will have two new issues put inside it now we've interviewed a lot of people we've done crowdfunding I'm kind of curious what was your experience doing that kickstarter i liked it um you know i learned a lot that i would do differently for next time including you know a month or two of build up prior to actually releasing it we finished at a convention so our finish was really strong, but it's a matter of, for us, at least with the Kickstarter, is it's all about getting as well-planned at the front end as humanly possible. Uh, but it was great, and our, our, the people who Kickstarted us, you know, wasn't just friends and family. A lot of people put their faith and trust in our book and our product, so it was really excellent. We were really happy with it. And so now back to Tiki sure. P.I. So... Um is, is that a mask or is that his real face? <laughs> no, that's his real face. Um, we've gone with with almost no backstory on Tiki. So he's we were trying to build him up to be like a Logan Wolverine kind of character where his background's not nearly as important as where his future is going. Uh, he's a force in Hawaii. He's extremely popular amongst tourists and locals alike. Uh, and it's all about him just keeping order in his part of Hawaii. And it's a you know unique angle. Yeah, we so, like to think so, so, yeah. so where that concept come from? Uh, Bill, actually, the artist, had drawn uh, a character. Uh, he'd come back from Hawaii and had drawn the character, um, brandishing guns and driving his, you know, convertible really fast. And Bill and I had been trying to find something to work on for years. And I called him on the phone immediately after it had been posted and said, "I know this guy's backstory. I know his adventures. I know his friends." And from there, we just started brainstorming back and forth until we eventually got issue one done. And from there, the stories became increasingly easy to write. And so even though we only have five books coming out by November, we have 17 actual stories plotted. So a good year and a half worth of stories to come. All right. And where can everybody find you online? Uh, TikiPI.net. 
Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm Zach Giolongo. I'm an author and cartoonist. And can you tell us a little bit about what you have here at your booth? Sure. Well, I have my original story here, Broxo, which came out from First Second uh, in 2012. Uh, it's about teenage barbarians and zombies. It's for kind of like a, you know, 12 and up age range. Uh, and then I have my... Star Wars Ewok book, which came out from Dark Horse last October, uh, and I have some stories that I've done for the Adventure Time comics, and uh, that's about it for me today. <laughs> what helped you uh, come up with the idea of Brock? So zombies versus teenage barbarians? Uh, I think I just, you know, I, I, I love fantasy, and I wanted to do a story about these protagonists that were in a fantasy world, a fantasy story, but it's it's pretty realistic, too. Like, they they have the capabilities of a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. They're not superheroes or anything like that, and sort of how they overcome those odds in the story. Do you have any other projects coming up? I do. I have something for uh, younger readers coming out in the fall called the Stratford Zoo Midnight Review Presents Macbeth. It's written by uh, an author named Ian Lendler, drawn by me, uh, and it's about zoo animals that break out of their cages at night and put on Shakespeare plays, the first one being uh, Macbeth. Sounds really great. All right, and where can people find you online? Uh, I'm at Zach Giolongo. It's G-I-A-L-L-O-N-G-O dot com. Also, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. My name is Zachulies, Z-A-C-K-U-L-E-S, everywhere online. So if you put that in, you'll find me. (laughs) Bro, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, hi, I'm I'm Sam Costello. I'm the uh, creator and writer of Split Lip, which is a horror anthology series. Uh, I write all the stories in Split Lip, but I get different artists from all over the world to draw each story. Each story is self-contained, so there's no order to the the stories of the books. You can jump in anywhere. And the horror that I'm most interested in is the horror of ideas and the horror of characters. So it's, it's not so much about gore as it is about how well do we really know other people? What mysteries do other people hold? How does the, uh, the sort of dark and difficult things that exist in everybody manifest itself in a story? And so I'm really looking to scare people and disturb people more than gross them out. It's sort of uh, along the lines maybe of the, the Twilight Zone or Night Gallery, that kind of thing. And how many books of Split Lip have there been? Five books so far. Which one do you suggest is a, like a first-time one to try out? Well, it, you know, it really depends on what kind of stuff you're interested in. Each book is themed, so they're collections of stories on the same theme. Termites in Your Smile, for instance, is about relationships and, uh, you know, relationships going bad and how, th- how that can uh, translate into horror. The Harvest Men is creatures and monsters. Cousin of Death adapts old uh, murder ballads and folk tales into uh, horror stories. So you can really... Depending on what kind of interest you have in horror or sort of imaginative fiction generally, there's a book that'll suit that taste. And uh, where can people find you online? We're at splitlipcomic.com. Uh, it actually started out as a webcomic, so all of the stories are available there, almost 600 pages of free horror comics. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Hey, guys, this is Mark's up here at Boston Comic Con again, and now I'm joined by... Ken Perry. And can you tell us a little bit about what you have at your booth? Uh, I have some original art. I have some prints. I have a few comic books that uh, I've worked on. I have the novel Exit Zero. It's based in New Jersey. Uh, Different take on the zombie novel, uh, the whole zombie apocalypse genre. I did the interior illustrations on that. I have uh, Ghost Agents, a comic book that I'm co-creating. And I have a bunch of prints. What's Ghost Agents about? Uh, it's basically like an NSA, CIA type uh, group. They're going to cover into, into other countries and uh, basically try and catch terrorists before they can hurt the United States. And you said Exit Zero is a little a different spin on, uh, on zombies. What's the different spin? Um, pretty much it's, a, uh, it's developed by this company. The, uh, the, the product they're developing is called Meat. And what meat does is it's supposed to help you lose weight, but what it does is it catabolizes your entire body, so you become a zombie. Your stomach basically becomes your brain, and that's the way you, uh, you kill the zombies, is by taking out their stomach, which turns to, into the brain. Oh, that's interesting. So headshots are useless, huh? Yes, pretty much. Got to do gut shots. 
Yes, definitely the gut shot. Definitely with a uh, shotgun or something like that. So do you have any other upcoming projects? Upcoming? Uh, just pretty much Ghost Agents. That's going to be uh, the new company is uh, Guardian Night Comics. Their launch party is going to be at Austin City Comic Con in September. And we'll have a bunch of preview books out for that. Awesome. And where can people find you online? Uh, just uh, KenPerryStudios.com. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, guys. It's Marks of Jean Entertainment up here at Boston Comic Con. And I'm joined by... Andrew McLean. And can you tell us a little bit about your books? Uh, Headlopper is my main book. Uh, in Headlopper, we follow uh, Barbarian, Nomad, Norgal, and his traveling companion, the severed head of Agatha Blue Witch, as they, um, as they fight monsters, one way or another, in a nutshell. Uh, then I also curated this... Uh, anthology called Kaboom Box with the uh, guys from the blog uh, Brandy Nostalgia and the Artist Collective out of Step Arts um, and then I also draw Department O by Jamie Gamble and that's uh, kind of like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen meets BPRD Victorian London team book with vampires hey, Sounds really good and where can people find you online? Uh, anywhere, Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter um, DeviantArt uh, then I also have a store envy site for purchasing the books that's uh, andrewmcclain.storeenvy.com Hey guys this is Marks up here at Boston Comic Con and I'm joined by Philip McClory Can you tell us a little bit about your books? Yeah sure so right here we've got Monstrosity uh, and it's a graphic novel anthology done by mostly creators from the uh, Toronto area it's all monster themed, uh, lots of action adventure, some horror stories, some even like comedic stuff. You know, big monsters, small monsters, monsters in love. Very cool. And you have your the book? Uh... Yeah, Book of Methuselah. This is some of my older work. Um, I did all the writing for that and editing and lettering and I, you know, various guys did the artwork for those stories and this one is strictly horror themed. And uh, how did you get started in making these books? Um, probably back in 07. Uh, you know, I used to go to a lot of conventions, and I'd go to the, the writers' panels. And I've been reading comics since I was a little kid, and so I just decided to dive into the deep end and started working on some scripts and found artists through, uh, you know, websites like Digital Webbing and things like that, and just started making my own books. And uh, where can people find you online? Uh, yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter, and it's at Phil McClory. And I also have a website, uh, philmcclory.com. My name is Sean Wong, S-E-A-N-W-A-N-G, and uh, I do a series called Runners. It's a fun sci-fi action comedy about a group of alien smugglers. So basically it's in the vein of the original Star Wars trilogy or Firefly, that kind of fun space opera. So how many books are there currently in the series? There are two graphic novels. The first one is Bad Goods, and the second is The Big Snow Job. Uh, basically each one is its own standalone story, and in each one they take on a different smuggling run that spirals out of control on them and uh, brings them up against pirates, bounty hunters, the police, and the occasional conscience. So it looks like it's an ensemble cast of, of uh, characters. Who's your favorite out of the group? I actually like all of them equally. I know that's the cop-out answer, but uh, for me as a writer, I, I, I wanted to make characters that any given reader could point to and be like, that one's my favorite, or that one's my favorite. And uh, art-wise, I wanted to make every single one of them an alien character, almost all of them an alien character, uh, which would be more fun for me to draw. Who's the captain of it? Uh, the captain is uh, a purple-skinned, kind of E.T.-looking alien called, uh, his name is Roka. Um, but his backstory is he's kind of fallen into smuggling, but it's not really what he wants to do. So he's kind of a reluctant smuggler. I do see that there's like one human, I guess, in the crew. Uh, tell us a little bit about him. Sure. Uh, his name is Bachi. Uh, he has... Uh, the one, he's mostly humanoid, but the one weird attribute is he has this blue glowing arm that can shapeshift and has some electrical properties to it as well. Uh, what's interesting is he, as the sole humanoid character, uh, people expect him to be the captain uh, or the really important character. He's actually the low man on the totem pole, the uh, novice of the group, and he's almost like a secondary character. The main focus is on uh, all the weird aliens in the crew. And what kind of age range would you say this is? Uh, it's pretty much all ages, I think. Again, in the same vein as the original Star Wars trilogy. So there's a lot of action. There's a lot of fun uh, character banter. 
Um, the second book, they kind of unwittingly get into uh, a little bit of a drug smuggling operation, but uh, you know that's about the extent of it. It's not overly graphic or overly uh, violent, or and there's no like sexual content or anything like that. You tell people drugs are bad. Right? Yes, yes, uh, it has decimated this one alien village, so the villagers are upset with them when they think they are the actual drug smugglers when they've actually kind of been tricked into it. Uh, okay. And now you guys did a Kickstarter. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. Um, so the first book was uh, Black and White and Grayscale. So as a self-publisher, it was... Uh, as a Black and White book, is kind of affordable to print. Uh, the second book I had posted online as a webcomic. Oh, and you can actually read uh, the entire series at runnersuniverse.com. Uh, and I posted the second one online, and it was full color. So when it came to printing it, I knew it was going to be a lot more expensive. So I actually went through Kickstarter, and it did extremely well there and actually got fully funded the initial goal within the first three days. Now, I know we talked to a lot of people who do Kickstarter. Is there a tip you would give? I mean, do you think that doing this webcomic really helped generate that audience for the Kickstarter? Is that... I think it definitely helped, and what's interesting, if you look at some of the really successful Kickstarter projects, a lot of them are webcomics. And for me, what helped was going into the project with already a fan base. I had a number of people who had already picked up the first graphic novel, so they were really familiar with Runners and really loved it, and they were eagerly waiting for the next one. And then uh, through the webcomic, uh, making the entire series available for people to read, there were a lot of people who read the whole thing, and wanted a physical copy. So I actually went into it with a number of people ready and willing to back it, which is how it got funded so quickly. All right, well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It's great talking to you. Hello, this is Anthony C. Ferrante, the director of Sharknado, and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, I hope you enjoyed those mini interviews. If you heard about something you might just like, be sure to check them out online. There's a lot of great stuff that I saw at Boston Comic Con. Now, you can listen to the first half of those mini interviews on last week's episode of Genretainment. Coming up soon in future episodes, we'll be chatting with podcaster and writer Mer Lafferty. She's been podcasting about writing since 2005, has hosted the shows Escape Pod and Pseudopod, and is a winner of the J.W. Campbell Award. Her new book is the urban fantasy novel Ghost Train to New Orleans. In addition to that, very soon we'll be talking with consultant and writer Lori Shear about her new book, The Writer's Advantage, a toolkit for mastering your genre. And before we go, we want to remind you that you can keep track of us on our Genretainment Facebook page, my Twitter account, which is Mr. Marks, that's M-R-M-A-R-X, uh, also our website at Genretainment.com, and all the shows at SciFiPulseRadio.com. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. And Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until next time. Ben Monkey.